The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Archaeology is often viewed as a fascinating, eclectic, and ultimately quaint pursuit. This program explores archaeology from the perspective of professionals who demonstrate that in the 21st century, archaeology and its sub-disciplines may hold the key not only to our past, but to our present and future. Welcome to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with your host, Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. Spend the next hour exploring where we came from and where we're headed with a leading researcher and practitioner in the field. Now, here is Dr. Schuldenrein. Good evening, everybody. This is Joe Schuldenrein from Yonkers, New York, with uh, a long-delayed new episode of Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology. Just a few words about a brief hiatus that we've taken from the program. Um, There were a couple of organizational changes that we had. Um, There were uh, simply a couple of issues that we had to resolve. And uh, it was time for a little bit of a break. We've been doing the program for five years pretty much nonstop. And we are in the process of doing some reorganizing, reformatting, and trying actually to kick up the nature of the program and to expand content and make some changes in organization and scope uh, in large measure because uh, everything sort of gets a little bit stale as time goes on. Uh, We've had a very positive response to our program and I don't want to uh, undermine that or make any short shrift of that. But the fact is that we are always changing. Change is good. And certainly the uh, most recent developments in the political scene, not only here in the United States but all over the world, has certainly encouraged a major change in the way things are done. And believe it or not, they affect archaeology as they do many other facets of life. And I think... It's time for us to sort of recalibrate, to take a look at where the profession is, um, certainly in the short term, where it may be going in the long term, and just sort of uh, take stock in where things are going. And today's program is the first new and live program that we've had in quite a while, pretty close to two months. And I just want to dedicate this program to a new time frame and a new perspective that, uh, for better or worse, we're going to have to adopt as time goes on and as the circumstances surrounding uh, the United States, North America, and the world at large are changing, and we have to sort of be ready for those changes and take a look at how such changes affect our 
uh, profession and more significantly how they affect our uh, world. And there are obviously a lot of topics that overlap, and we're going to be talking about that in a number of programs that we have on Slate for you in the upcoming weeks and months. So I'm happy, very much happy to be back here on the program and to open up a new Slate and to get us back into the flow of things and uh, my introductory program for this next wave and I hope it's going to be a long one is the most dramatic and recent changes in geopolitics and again as I said these have ramifications not only for our nation but also for the world and on a very very significant scale as I'm sure you've or you're aware of if you've been reading the paper and following changes on social media. The other thing, of course, that I do want to emphasize is I am uh, trying to expand the social media presence that we have started to, that we have initiated um, over the past few years. I think that social media is becoming a much more significant instrument of change and communication going forward, most specifically among young, young people. And I think that we are going to have to address our comments and our programs to the younger generation, which is certainly a positive development and, and one of the developments that obviously has to be linked to uh, progress and the nature of a changing world and a changing profession as we go forward. So the two uh, major events that obviously we need to talk about and the ones that are going to be uh, front and center for our programs certainly in the next couple of weeks are the elections in the United States and to a lesser degree what's been going on in other parts of the world. And secondly, um, the situation of the Dakota Pipeline, which I'm sure many of you have been following certainly those of you who are in the archaeological world and more generally in the environmental and heritage communities these are topics that are critical um, we have obviously very strong reactions to them and they will certainly shape our world going forward and they are the most pressing issues that we have to deal with in um, the next few months uh, certainly in terms of our program, and uh, as I said before, they have repercussions going forward. Now, the election is uh, front and center, I think, um, and I know that this has caused a certain amount of angst, not just among uh, cultural resources and heritage professionals, but also in the public at large. There have certainly been some divides that are palpable, uh, not just regionally, but demographically. And there are many, many implications of where the country is going and, and to some degree, uh, to a large degree, where the world is going. And those of you who are following these events um, are clearly aware of this. One of the things, though, that we do need to talk about in terms of the election is its, uh, and the most immediate one for us doing archaeology and dealing with heritage preservation, is what it means for the performance of archaeological work, what it means to the future of the profession, and what kind of terrain we are in under the new administration. The second issue that we will be talking about 
um, and we will expand greatly in the upcoming week or two, is the question of the Dakota Pipeline. As most of you are aware, the question of the easement has been resolved in favor of the groups that are arguing for environmental friendliness, in, in fact, environmental sustainability. And I think it's hopefully one of the, uh, well, I'm showing a little bit of a bias here. I, I hope that it will uh, sustain itself, that it will last and that uh, we start to take these impacts on environmental safety very, very seriously. I don't think it's uh, very questionable or in, in much doubt that this is going to be an uphill struggle going forward. And uh, that's certainly a, an issue that we have to deal with. But there are legalities and there are implications that the Dakota pipeline issue has for understanding um, not just um, environmental safety and preservation and uh, maintenance, but also in the question of preservation and archaeological sensitivity. The question of cultural heritage was brought up very, in very many cases as the attorneys for both sides of the issues were uh, making their cases. And we're going to touch a little bit on that today. Um, but we're going to hopefully have a number of experts on the topic in the next couple of weeks that are going to lay out the scenarios from very technical to more general perspectives as we proceed with our program and as the discussion and, in fact, the situation evolves and uh, takes a new form. The election itself, of course, has Again, many, many implications. I think the most important uh, ground and uh, fundamental uh, question that we have to deal with is this is complete terra incognita or new terrain for those of us in the preservation community. Now, that in and of itself is not a big deal because we are always going through changes and those of us who have been around this profession for a pretty long time have been up against analogous, if not identical, situations before. And I think one of the issues that I want to raise with most of you is the fact that uh, as much as things appear to change, they also sort of have a replicative effect as well. So that uh, I can tell you with a fair amount of confidence, having been around for a fair amount of time in this profession. This is not completely uncharted territory. To some degree it is, but we certainly have parallels to the challenges that we're going to be facing going forward. Um, a new administration uh, normally means that things will change uh, and they will uh, perhaps be felt, they will be felt, certainly, but the pace of change, despite what you're hearing, is not awfully fast. There are some things that can be done, but in general, the uh, real question that we have to address is long-term implications. Long-term implications can be in obviously enduring if the administration says stays the same, if the parties don't change, if the composition of Congress, specifically the House and the Senate, if it maintains its present configuration, uh, then um, the impacts will be, I won't say unidirectional, but they will certainly assume a longer term projection that uh, has some predictive 
reliability to it. Right now, I think we are really standing at a crossroads, and while some people are heading for the hills, figuratively, if not literally, there are some questions that, that need to be addressed in terms of cultural resources and archaeology and the performance of preservation and compliance that we can deal with and we can outline in some great detail. There are some of our organizations and yes, even lobbyists that we are involved with that do have our back on these issues. Unfortunately or fortunately, whatever your perspective is, that system is not changing despite the uh, projections and castigations of the president-elect that that entire system of lobbying and influence peddling is going to change. We know historically that that never happens, and every indication from the appointees that we're seeing right now is that um, if that a, a more uh, old-line perspective is actually going to endure, endure um, whatever changes that uh, the previous president, Obama, instituted are probably going to be scaled back to some degree. Certainly the appointments that we're seeing over the past uh, couple of days or the past week are indicating that um, if not a traditional Republican uh, perspective is going to be brought on the scene, then certainly a more strident Republican perspective is going to be taken. And we need, need to look at this in, uh, to some degree, objective detail as much as we can, because the implication for historic preservation is multifaceted and not necessarily uh, unidimensional, as many people are saying, because I have been asked by some of my employees and people who work with me, well, is this the end of Section 106. Well, it's not the end of Section 106, and we have a lot of precedents and a lot of examples to indicate that Section 106 will probably be maintained. The question that is really up and foremost in uh, our, our in our visions is how carefully is it going to be enforced? And I'm going to take a look at the uh, potential impacts of a new administration. And again, much of this is speculative because we don't know how it's going to sort out after these words. And we will be right back and talk a little bit about what the future holds for the preservation community and archaeology and historic uh, uh, heritage management as we go ahead. And we'll be back after these words. Please don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Voice America presents a new kind of health awareness talk show. The Sharon Kleina Hour. Health, environment, and the power of water. Show host Sharon Kleina interviews leading scientists to discover how each of us can become proactive in protecting our personal health environment in an increasingly unhealthy world. Every show offers new information that could save your life. The Sharon Kleina Hour is health from an environmental perspective, your ultimate source for a personal environmental lifestyle. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel and Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Why do some people seemingly make the same mistakes when it comes to love and relationships? What is the best way to find love? 
Make a visit each week to Destination Love. Host Shelley Pumphrey will bring what you need to know to find love. No, it's not about the next fad, dating site tips, scoring the first date, or looking your best. Rather, it's empowerment, knowing that your authentic self works best and the science behind finding love. Destination Love is live Wednesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern on Voice America Variety. Where are you getting your advice on buying, selling, or maintaining your most important asset, your home? Is it from a reality show on cable TV, a comparison website, or are you just flying by the seat of your pants and gut instinct? Stop now before you make another move. Tune into Real Real Estate Today with host and realtor Deb Tomorrow. You can't afford to play guesswork when it comes to your new or existing home. Listen every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Listening to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Indiana Jones Myth Reality at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, this is Joe Shilden, right back again uh, on a resumed series of programs, and hopefully we'll continue to broadcast for the foreseeable future. I'm glad to be back with our listenership. Today's topic is the changes that we can expect and some of the changes that uh, are potentially more speculative Uh, regarding the heritage and cultural resources communities both here in the United States and elsewhere in the wake of a very changing political landscape. And one of the things that I was uh, getting at in the earliest segment was that uh, people seem to panic when they look around and see that a provisionally or certainly ostensibly uh, anti-regulatory environment is falling around, is starting to establish itself around us. And this is, this is uh, not entirely an unfounded fear, but it's also not the type of change that will immediately impact what the legislation is uh, for uh, environmental and cultural heritage protection in the country. And as many of you know, the baseline legislation that covers historic and archaeological properties and architectural historic properties as well, above ground structures of antiquity and significance, is Section 106 of the National Historic Preservation Act and, of course, the National Environmental Protection Act, NEPA, which hand-in-hand regulate and uh, maintain a certain measure of control over development and, uh, by contrast, preservation of uh, historic um, items and historic foundations of 
our heritage here in the United States. Now, as again, many of you know, those uh, guidelines were set in the uh, middle to late 1960s. They were strengthened largely during the 70s, and there have been changes in the 80s and 90s. But by and large, the general protocols and the general guidelines have been maintained despite numerous attempts to weaken them. They can be weakened in terms of enforcement, but by and large, my experience, and and this is arguable certainly by some experts in the field, but my experience is that taking these guidelines down is a pretty difficult operation. Enforcing them in a variable way and not being overly vigilant about this is yet another question, and it's the enforcement that becomes a major issue. By and large, the spirit of compliance is for development and uh, for preservation interests to reach a common ground and not to be awfully confrontational, and in most cases, that seems to work. The other element that is really important in this discussion is the fact that the regulatory arm of the uh, whatever project guiding the rather the, the project that is going or proposed for construction is the one that uh, basically regulates the um, the aspect of construction or the aspect of development for that uh, property. So, for example, in a federal property, there are a variety of agencies that have responsibilities for making sure that uh, the preservation component of an undertaking is maintained. And if we go to this most recent issue, which is, of course, the Dakota Pipeline, well, that is a project that uh, was is largely regulated by a couple of, of, uh, of interests here, and that is really one of the issues that's at the crux of this matter, and those two regulatory agencies are the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, which essentially is concerned with gas lines and natu natural gas and oil and gas lines that cross state boundaries in, in the country. And of course, the 1,700 mile plus pipeline that was proposed for Dakota is uh, conforms to those circumstances. In other words, it does cross state lines and it becomes a federal undertaking. But the second issue, and one that I'm not going to get into in, in grand detail today, because it really is a conflicting and problematic issue, is the question of crossing bodies of water, which I'm sure most of you are, have read about uh, extensively, and that is the purview of the uh, United States Army Corps of Engineers and the Department of Defense, as opposed to the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, FERC, which is um, largely a, a power and energy and power department operation. So these two, con two um, agencies have, as it turns out, a common regulatory responsibility. I mean, that's a very simplistic way of saying it, but to some degree, what 
what happens here is when these two agencies are involved in compliance, there is the question of who is really in charge, and that has created a real problem. And uh, by and large, in compliance circles, we've been arguing for years that the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers charge seems to be a bit muddled vis-a-vis other agencies. And that is a problem that has come to the fore in this particular issue. And as I said, I'm not going to get into these details because I am not a federal archaeologist, have never really done it, even been performing in that uh, context, even though I have dealt with these agencies extensively and have seen how the dynamic works. But that's not where we want to go on this thing. We do know that the deleterious effects and potential destructive effects of these types of constructions affect both bodies of water, which again becomes the purview of the Corps of Engineers, as well as um, terrain operations or burst lines or control of lines that cut across uh, supply lines that cut across um, not so much the water, but also that run underground. Now, the water crossings turn out to be the most important issues in very many cases because uh, leaks or breakages, and there are many of them, will affect the water. And the Native American Sioux Tribe... um, have made a very, very strong point in saying that their water is potentially endangered by a a pipeline that will run underneath the riverbed and will potentially can potentially rupture and cause serious problems. Now, one of the things I will say is that most of the pipelines that have been built recently are natural gas lines. But right now, because of the uh, extensive reliance that we have on actually pure oil, there is uh, this, this particular pipeline poses a series of issues that have been somewhat in the background recently since uh, natural gas and leakages and breakages are a little bit differently different than oil spills. Oil spills tend to be much more dramatic and can directly and very, very painfully affect the water lines. So that's so much for that. But, but the real question that I want to get into here and we'll discuss it uh, going forward in in much of this program, is what happens to archaeological projects generally given um, the entire network of systems and regulatory agencies that are involved in controlling uh, construction and development. So really what, what the real question is, is how much development Uh, How much does archaeology and cultural resources management and heritage preservation, how is it it, um, and how can it be expected to respond in light of the encroachment or the um, expansion of development interests, which is largely the program of the upcoming administration. And since that administration is just not only controls the executive branches, but it also controls at this point, both legislative branches, uh, legislative sub-branches, meaning the Senate and the House, and uh, can potentially also sway the composition of the judicial branch if Republicans get appointed to that uh, mysterious ninth position in the Supreme Court. You are seeing a very extensive, at least for the short term, 
Republican influence and pro-development, by extension, influence in um, the ethos and in the um, general trajectory of uh, the way the country is moving. Um, this is a pro-development body. Uh, this is a pro-development time, if you want to call it, and break it down into simplistic terms. So we have to understand what the ramifications of that are. These do not necessarily, as I indicated earlier, spell doom for archaeological interests. It's, it's very important to make that point. Um, one of the points that I'm going to raise after the upcoming break, and, and this is something that a lot of people are not aware of, is that oil and gas and pipeline development are responsible for the execution and performance of most of the archaeology in the United States. There's no question about that, that the amount of money, the total net dollars, which runs into the billions, is funded, supported, and sustained by the oil and gas industry. So you need to keep that in the forefront. And that can be a double-edged sword, but if you look at it sort of objectively, your response can be, oh, wait a minute, if they're doing more development, then there may be more archaeology. And that is certainly not an unreasonable assumption to make, and I'm going to get into that in some greater detail after the break. We will be right back and discuss that. Don't go away. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Why? Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com.
listening to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Indiana Jones Myth Reality at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, this is Joe Schildenrein, and I'm back with a discussion on how archaeology and cultural resource management, historic architecture, and other disciplines related to the preservation dynamic may be changing in light of the recent elections and the very stark reconfiguration of our government as a result of these elections and uh, sort of the immediate connotations that people formulate in their main minds is that this is a pro-development, pro-traditional administration and its control of both houses and potential control over the judiciary uh, would all seem to point into the direction of development. Now, the other flip side of that is in previous years and over the past certainly half century, there are environmental protection mechanisms in place that Certainly, well, not certainly, but in all likelihood will not be dismantled by this administration, but they are certainly going to change their vision on it. Now, on the plus side of the ledger is the fact that development of pipelines in the fossil fuel industry, whether it be pipelines or coal or any other type of uh, fossil fuel industry, including nuclear, as a, for that matter, will require disturbances to this terrain and the subsurface. And as a result of that, there is actually a catalyzing and accelerating effect in the amount of archaeology that gets done. So that, for example, during the Bush one years, there were were a lot of pipelines that were being built. And because the Nixon era environmental laws were very much in effect at that time and were rigorously enforced, there was a lot of archaeology and a lot of cultural resource work that was done during a relatively staid Republican administration and uh, this was certainly whatever you want to take as a position on that, on the development and the fossil fuel development uh, circumstances and trajectories, there was a lot of archaeology that was done at that time. And that's because pipelines expanded, the thirst of America for fossil fuel was uh, certainly first and foremost in people's minds, and that became an issue that um, involved more development, and the development certainly did conform to uh, extensive regulatory operations. And to be perfectly honest, one of the positive elements of that was that the regulatory responsibilities of all federal and to some degree state and local agencies were more carefully spelled out so that each agency seemed to know better than it did in the 70s what its responsibility was going to be. So the compliance element of this was more straightforward. There were a lot of test cases that actually resulted in a much more streamlined and yet more enriching production of the archaeological database thanks to the fact that the uh, 
the the uh, regulatory ladder, if you will, was much smoother, and we understood who did what, what the relationships of the states to the federal government were in projects that actually crossed state lines and had um, general uh, federal effects and impacts, and we started to at least understand and smoothen out the questionable compliance responsibilities of each agency and the general dynamic of undertaking that type of work, supervising it, and making sure that results came out. And as a result of that, our database, quite frankly, was enriched immeasurably during those years. Now, the good side for the good, the good news for the present situation is that if those regulatory guidelines stay in effect, there is certainly a good chance that we will expand the archaeological database from fossil fuel construction. A lot of people don't want to hear that, but that is the fact. Now, the, 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 the downside of all of that is that there is so much pro-development um, wor- shall we say fumes, if we want to call it fumes or impetus in the air, that the compliance element of all of this, which can be rigorous, might be loosened. And if that's the case, then we're in for some hard times and some test cases. And if there are test cases, well, then it goes to the Supreme Court. And if that branch of government is also stacked with pro-development people, well, you can see where we're going with that. Then the very fabric of our preservation ethos can be compromised. Whether that will happen really is anybody's guess. We don't know what we're going to be in for. But certainly pro-development and uh, pro-development forces are starting to gain the upper hand. So don't be surprised if in the short term we will actually do more development. Now, the other side of all of this, and this is one that's actually very curious, is that uh, the Trump administration has made a very clear appeal for the development of infrastructure. Now, infrastructure would mean not only will there be a a boost in pipeline development and pipeline construction, but potentially there will also be a boost in work on on roads, highways, uh, sewage systems, the improvement of rail lines, and all those developments have a compliance component to them. And that component is very major. In the past 20 years, as you probably noticed if you've been driving or traveling, that infrastructure is sorely in need of upgrades on a monumental scale. Uh, Bridges have collapsed. Roadways are so bad that repaving and reconstruction and foundation um, infrastructure has to be completely redone, and those are massive undertakings. You can probably no longer, for example, build a bridge at the exact same location that it once was built in because that underlying construction fabric is gone. You can't reuse even the foundations of some of these bridges. So that means that new areas, new terrain is going to be impacted and environmental impact studies are going to have to be conducted on terrain that is no that is is new uh, the the old pattern was that for example utility lines transmission lines roadways uh rail lines the uh they were all sort of running along the same corridor, and what they tended to do was to stack all the utilities and all the infrastructure lines along the same easement so that 
environmental laws would not have to extend to new terrain, which would mean new archaeology and new development and new compliance standards, not just for archaeology, but also for environmental concerns such as pollution and contamination of subsurface, et cetera, et cetera. And now we've gotten to the point where we really can't build infrastructure along the same guidelines. So that too could be a big boost. Now the question of that, of course, is how are we going to sustain infrastructure? Infrastructure is going to require huge outlays on the part of the federal government as opposed to, uh, say, pipeline construction where, which is largely funded by private uh, ventures, development con- private development concerns, um, infrastructure is uh, federal infrastructure is largely funded by the federal government. So while there's so when they say that there are going to be new bridges built, there's going to be new roads built, there's going to be new rail lines constructed, and new, new transmission towers, whatever it is, uh, transmission towers, of course, falling more into the energy field, but certainly um, public public works are funded by taxpayers. And if, as the, uh, the standard line of the new administration c- is concerned, taxes will be lowered, well, then there's a real question as to where the funding for these potential projects is going to come from. I mean, how are you going to build a new dam? How are you going to build uh, a new interstate segment? How are you going to fund new rail lines? That can't be done by the government until unless huge infusions of money are going to be raised. And of course, that gets done by taxes. And if we're talking about a, a government that places a very heavy emphasis on reducing taxes, uh, certainly for the upper uh, classes and for, uh, to a lesser degree, for the middle-income people, where are they going to get the money to do this? So that becomes a major question. So while they may be preaching that infrastructure will be enhanced, which would, again, be a boon for archaeology and development, certainly was during the uh, Obama years, uh, immediately after the Depression of 2008, there was a surge of energy, of uh, uh, federal activity and financing by the Obama administration to build up infrastructure, which had a very positive impact on archaeology. Well, here it's not so clear how they're going to do that. They say they're going to do it, but they need money to do these sorts of things. And if that doesn't come through, and again, there is a re-emphasis on the states taking control over these development progress, these development projects, well, then that shifts the burden of development to the states. And as many of us know, the states simply do not have the types of monies that they used to have 20, 30, 40 years ago. So this is going to be sort of a built-in contradiction that has to get sorted out, and we don't know how that's going to work. So uh, we should be vigilant about that as well. But in theory, in the short term, what I'm saying in this uh, particular discussion is that there is a potential that in the short term, archaeology is going to move along just fine um, if uh, these types of development concerns are going to be promoted. But all of this is in a wait-and-see mode because, again, the real issue is not so much the laws themselves, but the enforcement of these laws. And as it turns out, um, 
the uh, the EPA guy who's coming in as a regulatory fellow, uh, a man by the name of Scott Pruitt, and this is an announcement that was just made today, is first and foremost a climate change opponent, and second of all, a rabid development guy. So in the short short term, again, we might see a real surge in archaeology, but the deleterious impacts of uh, this type of an administration is, is potentially kind of difficult to digest because um, when you when you discard the significance of climate change, then you have an entirely new series of warning signs and red flags. And it seems that with this surge in short-term development, there may be in the medium term a, uh, a compensatory reduction in compliance and, and uh, enforcement. And if that happens, then really we're going to see a real change in how things get done. And in the uh, and, and so what I'm saying here is that this short-term surge in archaeology and development concerns may actually in the long term do tremendous damage, not just to the landscape and to the environment, um, uh, by the greater policies of a pro-development uh, government, but in the short, in in the medium term, they're just going to have to um, streamline and downgrade compliance guidelines because otherwise, it's not really going to conform to an agenda that is pro-development. And we'll be talking about other aspects of this in the next section segment. Uh, please stay tuned. We're coming back for our final section after these words. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you a pet parent? If so, you'll want to stay up to date on the latest tech gadgets and advances for your canine or feline friend. With a ton of apps, websites, tech toys, and more, you'll want to be in the know when it comes to the real treasures and the duds. For that information, listen for Pet Lover Geek with host Lorian Clemens. We test and discuss what's hot and what's not on the pet front, so you'll be better informed. Tune in Saturdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. If you are seeking more confidence, it is time to feel good naked. That's the name of the radio show hosted by Laura Redmond. Each week, Laura and her guest experts are here to help you be you. In order to be truly successful and happy, you need self-confidence, self-love, and self-respect. Feel Good Naked Radio will teach you how to embrace these qualities and make your life more fulfilling and meaningful. Listen live every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be proud of who you really are from the inside out. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Listening to Indiana Jones Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to Indiana Jones Myth Reality at gmail.com. 
Now, back to the program. Hi there, it's Joe back. Again, Joe Shilden run back for Indiana Jones Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology. And our topic today has been the uh, changes that are pending in the wake of a new administration and basically a new flavor, if you will, to put it very mildly, in the general balance of environmental, cultural, concerns on the one hand and developmental concerns on the other. As uh, we've discussed, the most basic assumption here is that developmental concerns are at the forefront of this uh, administration. I don't think there's any question about that. And as I indicated earlier, even though people tend to think, well, that means the end of heritage preservation, it's quite the contrary, because with the existing legislation and with the existing enforcement mechanisms that are in place, uh, development triggers more preservation, more archaeology, and a clearer signal to uh, compliance and to the increase, if of nothing else, the archaeologists and the archaeological and heritage-based databases themselves. That's the good news. The bad news is that with such an accelerated timeline, as some of the pro-development advocates are are championing, um, we could see a significant reduction in compliance so that um, the types of issues that have just surfaced in the Dakota Pipeline uh, case uh, may actually, could potentially get reversed. Uh, there's a, a strong impetus at this point. Uh, certainly the winds are blowing in the direction of reversal. I don't want to rain on anyone's parade, and I'm, I'm very serious about this. Uh, this was a major decision that was reached by the Corps of Engineers, the denial of the easement. It was a very major victory for environmentalists and cultural resource practitioners. But the case, as uh, many of the protesters have indicated today, is far from over. There is a new sheriff in town, as we know, and uh, the position is, to say the very least, a little bit cloudy on how this resolution is going to play itself out. So one of the things we need to take into account is the specifics of the cultural resources impacts of the pipeline that we're talking about, the Dakota Access Pipeline. It's about 1,700 miles worth of a pipeline construction. And as it turns out, the primary, although not the exclusive concern that people had, was the potential contamination of water because the pipeline uh, cuts across a major drainage, Missouri River, I believe. And as a result of that, um, there is the potential, very serious potential of a rupture. Uh, they've happened so many times in the past, and a rupture in a oil transporting pipeline is much more serious than that of a gas pipeline. Both of them have happened because uh, the 
oil rupture in a water source affects not only the water directly, but has incredibly deleterious effects on the water table itself, which has cannot be controlled in many cases, depending on what we call the aquifer, which regulates the support of the water system in the subsurface and ultimately supplies the river in uh, what we would consider, what many would consider not direct ways, but there couldn't be any more direct way. It's just not directly, directly spilling into the river itself. It's spilling into the source of the river. And that's par, far more insidious in terms of contaminating effects. So we have to be very, very diligent about this. And uh, this could be a potentially enormous problem. Now, the next issue that has to be considered, and we haven't talked about that, is the cultural, direct cultural resources effects of pipeline rerouting. Um, one of the issues that is very extensive and very pervasive in the American West, not so much in the East Coast, but certainly in the West where there are large tracts of federal properties and there are extensive uh, Native American lands, is the entire question of traditional cultural properties. Uh, The traditional cultural properties refer to properties that are both tangible to Westerners and not so tangible to Western people, but they're very legitimate so that, for example, a mountain itself can be considered a a traditional cultural property or a TCP to Native American groups. And this would be no less significant than a church or a uh, longstanding historic structure for uh, traditional uh, Western religious people. Um, And this is one that obviously takes up a lot of space. And so there are significant compliance issues that have to be dealt with just because of the fact that there are entities that are sacred to Native Americans and which have to be taken into account for both moral and legislative reasons. And so the impacts are a little more difficult Have up until certainly uh, 1990, where, or 1990 when the Native American Graves uh, Protection Repatriations Act were uh, implemented. But now we have very discrete guidelines on how to deal with preservation matters for uh, traditional cultural properties. So that too became an issue and no less important, well, no less important than the water contamination issue to Native Americans. So this also becomes a facet of uh, controversy and compliance when we're dealing with the Dakota pipeline and basically all types of developmental interests in the Western United States. They're especially prominent in the Southwest where there are coal concerns in places like, uh, uh, and mining concerns in places like Arizona and New Mexico. And all those issues are taken into account as well. So the Dakota issue has not only natural resource implications for the people who live there, which in those areas are are largely Native Americans as well as a limited number of Euro-American people, but also the traditional cultural issues that have to be dealt with. And this will be a very sensitive issue for the administration that is coming in. 
how they're going to deal with it, well, we don't know that, but the signs are not necessarily pointing in the upward direction with respect to historic preservation in, again, the medium and longer term. In the short term, I think we will probably be okay. Can't be sure. It all depends on how legislation goes and how much, how much impact executive orders can have on uh, changing the general course of what seemed to be an environmental and culturally uh, friendly administration that is uh, basically ha- that basically has another month or so left to uh, stay in power and will be displaced by or replaced rather by uh, an administration that is not necessarily as friendly to preservation concerns. But as I said before, there is a time lag in in between the uh, um, enforcement element and com- uh, of the compliance um, for of uh, the compliance authorities and the actual maintenance of the laws themselves. So we'll have to see how that balance changes. Um, in the medium term. In the short term, I don't think it's going to be awfully dramatic. We'll have to see. But uh, this is, these are very sensitive and in many ways worrying times. And going forward, uh, I am going to bring in some experts in both cultural resources and preservation and the legalities of the uh, archaeological issues and conservation mechanisms that are currently in place and how uh, the changing balance between enforcement and maintenance of the laws will change in the near and the medium and longer term going forward. So until we see you next time with a follow-up program to the present one, have a wonderful week and we will see you uh, at our next program. Um, or you will certainly be uh, getting more information on these burning issues that are at the front edge of what the administration, the incoming administration, will have to deal with, certainly in terms of preservation and uh, cultural resources management uh, going forward. So stay tuned. We, uh, stay tuned for next week and week after, and we'll be bringing you another version, another program of Indiana Jones Myth reality, and 21st century archaeology. Uh, Look forward to uh, speaking and talking to you in the near term and all in going forward over the next few weeks on these topics that are of a direct concern to us as we have a change in our government. Thank you and good evening. Thanks again for tuning in to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. Please join us for another unique journey into the past next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. In the meantime, think about the past with an eye towards the future and a better tomorrow. Tomorrow.